This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr.org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. And produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 775 for release on Sunday, December 31st, 2023, New Year's Eve. And on today's program, we'll have Bermuda, Part 2, Shortwave, and Marine Radio. We'll talk with Marcel Roberts about the state of shortwave in Europe. And the World Radio TV Handbook 2024 edition is now out. Two weeks ago, we presented the story of early radio broadcasting on the island of Bermuda, out in the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of North America. In our program today, we present the next episode in our Bermuda story, covering the shortwave portion. Thanks, Jeff. Yes, if you remember, back in 1927 was when British amateur broadcaster Gerald Marcuse was on the air with his famous shortwave station G2NM. He sometimes played music records over the air, and sometimes he just chatted amateur radio style with whoever joined him in any part of the world. On several of those early occasions, Marcuse talked with an amateur radio operator located in Bermuda, and he also played music recordings over the air. The amateur radio operator in Bermuda, whose name and call sign are no longer known, received these programs from England on his own radio receiver, and he then often rebroadcast them live for the benefit of other amateur radio operators further south in the Caribbean. These spontaneous radio broadcasts were the very first attempts at radio broadcasting in Bermuda. That was in 1927. Well, six years later, a communication station was installed at Hamilton, Bermuda, and it was given the primary call sign ZFA. This new station, with a power of one and a half kilowatts, was officially inaugurated in November 1937, and this special ceremony was broadcast live on 10.055 kilohertz under the secondary call sign ZFB. This shortwave programming was received off-air and sent by landline to Radio City in New York for rebroadcast over local medium wave stations throughout the United States. Throughout the years, from 1933 to 1939, international radio monitors in the United States reported hearing occasional special shortwave broadcasts from Bermuda. This programming was transmitted by Radio Bermuda under the call signs ZFA on 5025 kHz, ZFB on 10055 kHz, or ZFD on 10335 kHz. The purpose of these shortwave broadcasts was always for onward relay to medium wave stations in the United States and sometimes in Canada. 
Interestingly, at the beginning of 1938, the radio world was surprised by the release of a news item stating that a powerful new shortwave station would be constructed on the island of Bermuda. For a whole year, there were occasional mentions of this projected new shortwave station in radio magazines in the United States and sometimes elsewhere. The news information never indicated who was behind the project, nor what its purpose would be, though it could be speculated that the coverage area could be the United States. The various printed references to this station stated that it was a new facility, that it would be a powerful shortwave station, and that it would be installed on Smith's Hill in Bermuda. The final known news release about this station indicated it would be on the air in November 1939, and that it would broadcast news bulletins on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays. Well, the obvious question would be, why would anyone construct a powerful shortwave station on an island and have it broadcast just three news bulletins each week? (laughs) Well, needless to say, the project never materialised. Dr. Adrian Peterson's heritage collection of QSL cards does hold half a dozen QSL cards from Bermuda for both shortwave and mediumwave stations. Also, he has two QSL cards from British amateur G2NM, both before and after his historic stint at Empire Broadcasting. However, he also has some 1930s-era picture postcards showing three different ocean-going passenger liners associated with Bermuda that were also involved in international shortwave broadcasting. These were the Empress of Britain, the Monarch of Bermuda and the Queen of Bermuda. Radio listeners at the time declared that the Empress of Britain was the most active with radio broadcast programming under the callsign GMBJ. Each of these ships was noted in the United States with occasional radio programming, usually for rebroadcast in the United States and occasionally in Canada, though sometimes the shortwave programming was simply spontaneous for whoever was listening. The program relay for NBC in New York was received by the maritime communication station WOO, located at Ocean Gate in New Jersey. The Empress of Britain had been launched by the Brown Shipyard at Clydebank in Scotland on June the 11th, 1930. This large passenger ship, owned and operated by Canadian Pacific, replaced an older ship with the same name. At the same time, it was described as a very modern passenger liner, designed for winter cruising and with a radio receiver in each cabin. It was touted as the world's most economical fuel consumer per horsepower hour, burning 356 tonnes of fuel oil each day. It was so large that it had a clearance of just 7.5 inches on each side as it traversed through the lock system in the Panama Canal. This ship plied the Atlantic on numerous voyages and occasionally out in the Pacific. On one occasion, she crossed the Atlantic from Halifax, Nova Scotia to Southampton, England with just 40 passengers on board. However, these passengers were rather special. They were King George VI and his wife, Queen Elizabeth of Great Britain, together with their royal entourage. On September 8, 1939, the Empress of Britain arrived in Quebec at the end of a quick voyage across the Atlantic. It was commandeered for Navy service, painted with camouflage paint, and then used as a troop carrier back to Europe. On what became its last voyage, it was attacked off the coast of Ireland by a German long-range bomber on October 26, 1940. And then the very next day, it was further attacked by a German submarine, and early in the morning of the third day, it sank upside down in 500 feet of water.
The second ship was the Monarch of Bermuda, which was built at the Vickers Armstrong shipyards in England for passenger service between New York and Bermuda, a voyage of just 40 hours each way. During the time of its service, the Monarch of Bermuda received accolades for the rescue of passengers and crew from another passenger ship that was on fire off the coast of New Jersey, the Morrow Castle. Towards the end of 1939, the Monarch of Bermuda was also requisitioned for Navy service and it was subsequently used as a troop carrier across the Atlantic. In 1946, it briefly resumed its peacetime role, then carrying war brides from Europe to Canada. Then in 1947, she was gutted by fire while undergoing a refit for further passenger service. The burned-out shell was moved to Southampton, where it was rebuilt and renamed New Australia. This ship made its first voyage to Australia filled with English migrants in August 1950. But subsequently, the ship was involved in a collision in the Torres Strait north of Australia. It was then bought by a Greek company, modernised and renamed Arcadia for use as a cruise ship. However, just eight years later, it was finally sold for scrap in Spain. The third passenger liner was the Queen of Bermuda, a ship which was also built at the Vickers Armstrong shipyards in England and launched one year later than the previous ship. It too was taken into passenger service in the Atlantic. In August 1939, the Queen of Bermuda was requisitioned by the British Navy, converted into a merchant cruiser and taken into service in the South Atlantic and Indian Oceans. Then in 1961, the ship was completely rebuilt for passenger service, but five years later it was withdrawn from service, taken to Scotland and scrapped. So how were these three passenger liners involved in radio broadcasting? Well, the Empress of Britain was described in the 1930s as the most active ship broadcaster during that era. It was on the air mainly with music programmes under the British callsign GMBJ. Programme broadcasts from the Empress of Britain, GMBJ, were relayed off-air by NBC in the United States, as well as by national networks in Canada, England and Australia. This ship was often heard in radio contact with the Marine radio station in Bermuda and sometimes with spontaneous radio broadcasts for whoever might be listening. The Monarch of Bermuda was often heard in contact with Bermuda Radio and New York Radio during the 1930s and it was noted also with occasional spontaneous radio broadcasts and with relays to local medium wave stations in the United States. This ship was operated under several consecutive call signs, such as the British-registered GTSD and the Canadian-registered VTSX and VQJM. And likewise, the Queen of Bermuda was also often heard by North American DXers in communication traffic with Bermuda Radio and New York Radio. This ship was noted occasionally with programme broadcasts and it was on the air under two Canadian call signs, VPTG and VQJP. We've never seen any QSL cards acknowledging reception of radio broadcasts from these three passenger liners, but it's possible they do exist somewhere. If you've seen one, let us know. Maybe some of these exotic QSL cards, if they do exist, will turn up one day in some old QSL collection in North America, or perhaps even in England. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray Robinson at The Voice of Hope in Los Angeles. 
The World Radio TV Handbook 2024 edition is now available with updated frequencies, in-depth station information, and insights for radio enthusiasts. WRTH 2024 features a comprehensive review of the Perseus 22, TEF 6686-based receivers, and various other devices. Articles cover Mexico and Nauru, remote antennas, non-directional beacon DXing, as well as the global shortwave situation and premium receiver collectors. All of the standard country sections are included, and the global shortwave frequency list now includes schedule details, offering a total of 816 pages of information and data. That includes 54 pages that constitute the global shortwave frequency list. To get your copy, visit the publisher's website at shop dot radiodatacenter.net that's shop s-h-o-p dot radiodatacenter.net the price is around fifty dollars and includes free shipping worldwide now here's what the publisher says is new and improved in the world radio tv handbook 2024 edition a larger font size and better readability that's important call signs as used on the air associations between medium wave, FM, and shortwave stations, transcripts of station IDs, and transmission times in a comprehensive format. The WRTH team was trying to deliver the new edition before the holidays where possible. Expected delivery dates were December 21st to 26th in the United States and the rest of the Americas, December 25th to January 2nd in the European Union, Russia, and Turkey, and December 22nd to January 2nd in the UK and the rest of the world. The National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, NASB, in the United States, held its 2023 annual meeting on a cruise ship, which sailed from Miami, Florida, to the Bahamas and back to Miami in three nights. Shortwave broadcasters and listeners took part in the meeting, and we'll be telling you more about it on upcoming programs. Now, just before the NASB meeting, one of the participants visited us here in Okeechobee, Florida, at WRMI. Marcel Romerts is a Dutch listener who also operates a local FM station in Holland. We brought him into the studio here to talk to him a bit about the state of shortwave listening and broadcasting in Europe these days. So we're talking with uh, Marcel Romerts of, um, I was going to say the Netherlands, but uh, you you live more in Belgium now, don't you? <laughs> I'm from the Netherlands, but uh, yes. And, you know, Jeff, uh, we know each other for a long time. Uh, <laughs> I th- Honestly, I live in Belgium already for 25 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I think the last time uh, I was there uh, with you, we were in, we were we in were Holland. In the Netherlands, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, well, actually, the last time we were together was on uh, the cruise ship on the uh, MSC Magnifica. Uh, between Miami and the Bahamas, and uh, you gave a very interesting presentation about uh, the radio situation in in Europe. I want to start, though, by uh, asking you, because you had a chance to attend a couple of months ago, uh, in September, the uh, European DX Council Conference, and I haven't had a chance to attend for the last few years or so, and um, it took place, what, between uh, Germany and France somewhere? No, it uh, took place in Metz, which is a city in the north of France, uh, but it's very close to the German border and it's very close to the Luxembourg uh, border. Uh-huh. 
So a three a three country conference. <laughs> it's correct, but um, uh, uh, of course we focused very much also on the radio scene. Let's say on the different sides of uh, of the border. So uh, during the conference there was a presentation about uh, Radio Luxembourg. Uh, we went to visit uh, a transmitter site in Germany, uh, and we went to visit a, a radio station in Metz. So we we dealt with all three countries uh-huh. there. Now, uh, Radio Luxembourg, um, I remember listening to it uh, <laughs> decades ago on, on shortwave, uh, but they're not on shortwave anymore, are they? They're not on shortwave anymore, and they're not on medium wave anymore, and uh, they're not on long wave anymore. Oh, huh. just FM? Uh, just FM uh, in German, in Luxembourgish, and in, uh, in French. Mm-hmm. And that's a commercial station? That's a commercial station, and it, uh, once they promoted themselves as um, the biggest uh, commercial station in Europe. Ah, yeah. And they have interest, uh, the, 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 the RTL group has interest uh, all over Europe. Uh, so that was one of the excursions you took uh, during the conference, right? No, no, we, we, during the conference uh, we didn't go to Luxembourg. Uh, there were some, uh, some of the conference, conference participants who after the conference went to Luxembourg and basically to see um, inaccessible transmitter sites uh, uh, because either they are broken down, they're being broken down, uh, they are, they're being um, reused, repurposed. Of course, the transmitter sites and the, there are huge transmitter towers, antenna towers in Luxembourg, because the the, the, the range, the reach from uh, by FM from there is quite good. But for the rest, everything that's linked with long wave and medium wave um, mm. is uh, not accessible anymore, and it's being broken down. Are the shortwave transmitters gone? I think they're gone. Yes. And the antennas, I suppose. And the antennas too. And, and so that was uh, one excursion. Uh, where else did people go? Uh, we had a very nice excursion because we visited the former transmitter site of the longwave station Radio uh, Europe 1 or Europe 1, mm-hmm. which was a French language uh, radio station. It is a French language station, uh, but um, they were, the transmitter was located in Germany in a city called, near a city called Felsberg. And uh, this was a very powerful uh, longwave uh, station. I think they were switched off uh, two years ago. And uh, the, yeah, we could visit the, the old transmitter hall and the old transmitters uh, there. The, uh, the valves, there were still, uh, uh, there was still a collection of old valves there that were waiting for being reused. But at the moment, I don't think that uh, for, uh, for long wave, there is any interest for, uh, for valves anymore. Mm. And uh, Europe One was a commercial, is a commercial station, right? Yeah, it's a huge commercial, uh, a very big commercial station in France. Um, I don't exactly know, uh, wh- let's say, how their marketing situation is developing at the moment, but uh, they, they were very important in the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. Were they ever on shortwave? Uh, not that I know, no. And was there one more excursion? Yes, we went to uh, an FM station, uh, a regional FM station, which has its studio in Metz, uh, Radio France Bleu. And uh, we had a nice tour uh, there. We were, it's, um, it's a, small, uh, a small location. Mm. Uh, we had to be uh, split in two groups. We were with about 20, 25 people. Uh, mm. But um, yeah, they, they, they had to cut the, the 25 mm-hmm. people in two groups because otherwise it didn't really fit. But if I remember well, uh, they will move to a new bigger studio location next year. Uh-huh. But the conference itself was in Metz, is that right? Yeah, it was in Metz, in a, in a hotel with uh, with nice facilities. Uh, and besides, of course, talking about uh, about radio, we did a, uh, we socialized and we had a guided walk through Metz. 
nice things to see there. And uh, of course, presentations. Uh, w there were two presentations uh, that, that rather impressed me that I think were very uh, useful. There was a presentation by Harald Süß from Austria, who talked about uh, how you still can get QSLs and QSL verifications. Mm. And uh, there was a presentation by Idun um, Ritz uh, about uh, the long wave station in Denmark that will close down at the end of the year. Huh. Uh, what, what were Harold's uh, secrets to uh, getting QSLs nowadays? Uh, by being as personal as possible <laughs> and uh, being persistent uh, <laughs> and uh, just not see a QSL verification as something that, uh, you know, is automatically generated by your computer. I mean, you really need to uh, to incentivize, to, to, to personalize your communication uh, and uh, yeah, that, that increases chances. And, and I can vouch for that because uh, Harold has sent us a number of reception reports here uh, at, at uh, WRMI over the years, too. Um, uh, so there were about 25 participants uh, from various countries? Uh, from various countries uh, across, uh, across Europe, France, Germany, uh, um, the UK, Denmark, uh, Finland. A little bit spread, not 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 the big numbers that we have seen, mm. or the bigger numbers that we have seen in the uh, in the past. In the past, also there were overseas participants; they were not there this year. Mm. I mean, of course, let's say Metz is not an easy location to get uh, to, but who knows? Next year, uh, the conference decided that uh, next year uh, uh, we are going to take up, up uh, an invitation from uh, from Finnish DXs uh, to uh, have a conference uh, organized in Estonia. And um, I think we were all looking forward to this, not only to go to Estonia and, and talk about radio there, but also to, uh, to connect with the, with the Finnish uh, DX community, which is still rather active and, and alive. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're one of the biggest uh, DX groups in, in Europe, I think. Yeah. So Estonia next year, do, is there, uh, or did they decide on dates? No, there was no no talk about. Uh, uh, there is certainly not a final date yet. I think uh, uh, when there is, uh, it will be it will be publicly announced. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's edxc.org is their site. Yes, that's yeah. the website. Yeah. So in Eastern Europe next year. Now, um, last time I was at the edxc was in it was in two cities in Bratislava and in Vienna. They're right next to each other. Uh, part was in part of it was in each city. Uh, and there were a lot of people uh, I remember from Eastern Europe. Were there any Eastern Europeans this year? Uh, no, not uh, not really. And honestly, I mean, I need to correct you there. Ah. I mean, we don't talk about East and West Europe anymore. Uh, <laughs> okay. And in fact, uh, Estonia, I mean, they, they, they don't certainly, even in the past, they, they don't see each other as East Europeans. Um, um, they, 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 they really, um, I mean, they belong to Scandinavia. They're Scandinavian people. They're tall, blonde people there. So... Uh, and, and their language and their culture is very close to Finnish. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, that sounds, um, sounds like it was an interesting meeting. Uh, and what, what is the situation like in general with, uh, with uh, shortwave in Europe? I, I, I know you told me off microphone here that, that there was a committee formed to discuss uh, how to... Well, you, you can explain it better. <laughs> yes, I mean, uh, at the end of the conference, there was some kind of discussion following a comment from uh, Alfredo Controneo saying, guys, we, um, we think... 
And, and let me just in, yeah. interject yeah. that Alfredo Cotroneo is with the Italian Radio Relay Service, which uh, transmits this program, Wavescan, yeah. Okay, and uh, a common friend of ours. Uh, yes. Um, no, he, he launched the idea of, uh, I mean, we should talk to each other, we should brainstorm each other. There, there is still so much interest amongst young people uh, in, in technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and whether there is not an opportunity to better connect uh, with those young people and, and whether there are not m- new modern ways of trying to explain to them and trying to convince them that, I mean, there are many voices, many interesting voices on the radio uh, and uh, on shortwave uh, radio. And, and l- let's do some brainstorming, not a very complicated and long exercise <laughs> and perhaps um, a, a, hel- a helpless helpless exercise in the end. No, no, I mean, l- l- let's try to be very focused and let's try to be very creative and let's try to be very uh, target-oriented and, and, and invent some things that we could think of together in order to reach out to those uh, to those young people. Yeah, an interesting concept, and uh, I, I, most of us uh, who attend these these DX conferences uh, have been doing so since the I don't know the 1980s anyway, uh, maybe before, and uh, and so the question I guess is, can you can you get young people interested in shortwave anymore? I mean that's uh, uh, that's of course a key question, but you know, can you get young people interested in radio at all anymore? I guess. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and but I mean for that we need to, and this is also something that uh, Alfredo mentioned. I mean we we also perhaps need to talk to these people, or we need to perhaps read a little bit, or use our our knowledge on uh, and and trying to understand, let's say, what young people nowadays are looking for. But I think you know in a world that becomes ever more complicated political balances of power are changing where, where perhaps um, everybody's talking about the internet but you know mm-hmm. in conflict situations can you really rely on internet and is the information on internet honest information that was marcel roberts of the netherlands talking with us in the wavescan studio in okeechobee just prior to the nasb annual meeting at the beginning of december we'll have the second part of that interview for you next week And we end Wayscan today with music of the Esso Steel Band in Bermuda. Thanks for listening to Wayscan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. And on this New Year's Eve, we want to thank our regular contributors to Wayscan who are with us throughout the year. Yukiko Tsuji in Japan, Henry Matai in the Philippines, Salhuddin Dolar in Bangladesh, Pithraj Purkiyasta and Jos Jacob in India, and others who regularly send us material. Next week on Wavescan, it's part three of Bermuda, looking at the medium wave scene there. And more from the NASB annual meeting between Florida and the Bahamas, as well as our DX report from Yukikotsuji in Japan. Wavescan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org.
I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone, and Happy New Year. the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to The Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is bible at awr.org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. 